On today's broadcast of Graceful Truth, we continue with our series, Seven Steps to Spiritual Stability. We're in Philippians chapter four, verses two through four. Join us for this edition of Graceful Truth. Now you might be sitting here this morning and say, well, gee, that's nice, Steve. You know, I appreciate the encouragement to stand firm and be strong and be bold and be courageous and be stable. But frankly, you haven't told me how. <laughs> you haven't told me how. How do we reach that kind of stability? Matter of fact, if you're looking around at Christians around you this morning, you might assume that some are more stable in their spiritual walks than others. And you know what? That's a correct assumption to make. Some appear very stable, and some appear very unstable. And you have all kinds in between those two extremes. Maybe a feeling in your heart this morning that you're saying, you know what? I'm just a. <laughs> I was just born this way. I'm just unstable. In general, well, I want to make sure that you understand this morning. Genetics have nothing to do with our spiritual resources that we have in Christ. Absolutely nothing. It's not something you've inherited. The instability that you may have—it's a spiritual issue. to you from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. This is Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. Today, as mentioned a moment ago, we're back in Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4, principles that produce spiritual stability. Today, what we're looking at is how to cultivate harmony within the fellowship of love. Again, we're looking at Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Just who are Yodia and Syntyche? Well, that's what we're looking at now. Here's our teacher and pastor, Pastor Steve Converse, with this edition of Graceful Truth. Philippians chapter 4. But we've been focusing on last, last week on spiritual stability. I think that in our society today, we admire people that have certain characteristics. We, we admire people who are able to stand strong in what they believe. Uh, we admire someone who stands true or you might say stands up for what he or she believes. Um, we, we admire people who are um, firm in their thinking, that they can't be bought, uh, they can't be bribed, they can't be intimidated, um, they can't be softened up or, or defeated in any way. They're, they're focused and they really know kind of where they're going in life and they really want to um, let people know that. And they're not ashamed of that. They're unwavering, they're uncompromising. And I'm sure that all of us have worked with people that are just the opposite of that. The only thing they're interested in is, well, what do you want me to say? And I'll say it. And those kind of people are just kind of, you know, you don't have a lot of respect for somebody like that. That's always going into the boss's office and the boss asks him questions. And he's not really telling him how he feels. He's just telling him what he wants to hear so we can get to promotion. Those kind of people may make it to the top, but they're not very well respected a lot of times. And a lot of times people... Uh, I was talking to somebody the other day and they said, you know what, I just respected this person was just very, just kind of almost in my face. They knew exactly what they wanted and they communicated very clearly. And I really respected that. And, you know, so our society is, is one of such that we admire somebody like that. We look up to them. And there's, there's something about that kind of stability in somebody's life that we look at and we go, wow, uh, I wish, you know, I could be more like that. 
But now you, when you stop and you think, and that's just the world standard. That's the idea the world has. But when you stop and you, you, you think of, of Christ and you think of what he did, I mean, he would not compromise. He did not sell out. Um, he was a model of integrity. He was, um, you know, a model of somebody who couldn't be bought, bought at all. He, he was a model of somebody who wouldn't deviate even for a little sliver to the left or the right from the truth. He was always willing to go out and just communicate it clearly. And after all, we're called, what? Christians. So we should kind of be focused on that. And we want to identify with Christ, and especially with this uncompromising, courageous kind of character that Christ had. We want to look at that and say, you know what? That's what we want to be like. Because that's what Paul is talking about here, Christ-likeness. And you know, those of us who name the name of Christ as a Christian, there should be some form of stability in our lives. Just because that's who we're trying to emulate. We're trying to emulate Christ. And that's what the Bible says. There should be some kind of consistency, some kind of steadfastness, you might say. And that's really what, when you look at the New Testament, what we're encouraged to be. Uh, repeatedly, over and over throughout the New Testament, Christians are called to what? Stand firm. You hear that over and over again. In a number of different ways and in different terms. We're, we're called not to be tossed around like the waves of the sea. We're called not to doubt or be unstable, like the waves of the sea tossed to and fro, the Bible says. Uh, we're, ca we're called to be firm, to stand firm in our faith. A number of times the Bible tells us in the New Testament to be of good courage. You've heard that. To be fixed like men, do not be unstable. That's what the Bible says. We're told to be bold. We're told to live an uncompromising life for Christ. And we could turn to a number of passages, but just turn over to the, the book of Colossians, chapter 2. And just look at verse 5, because it's so common. I mean, we could spend all day just talking about that. But look at chapter 2, verse 5. And Paul's writing to the church at Colossae, and we went over this when we went through the book of Colossians. But look at what verse 5 says. He says, For though I am absent in the flesh, in other words, I'm not with you. I'm, I'm, I'm absent. I'm not, I can't be there physically with you right now. That's what Paul's saying. He says, yet I am with you in spirit. What's he mean by that? He means, you know what, you're always on my heart. You know, it's kind of like the relative who lives back east or lives in another part of the world. You know, and you love them dearly and you'd love to spend time with them, but you know what? You can't. Because physically, they're not where you are and you're not where they are. But you would say that, you know what, you're always on my heart. I'm with you in spirit. And that's kind of the idea. You're always on my mind. And then he goes in and he says, here's what my desire is for you. He says, rejoicing to see your good order, or, or discipline is the idea, and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ, or the stability of your faith in Christ. You know what? Nothing brings joy to uh, someone who's discipling somebody or seeing somebody watch somebody grow in their faith in the Lord, to see that person who was once all over the map begin to draw some discipline in their life and, and to begin to have some stability in their, their Christian walk. It really brings joy to that, to, to where they become stable in their faith. They're unwavering in their faith. They have a strong faith. You know, and any of us, I think, that know Christ would probably personally have to admit that we wish our faith was stronger than what it was. We always wish our faith was stronger than what it was. 
None of us have that ability to stand against anything all the time 100%. We just don't have that. And so we want to be stable through times. None of us, I think, are, are looking at our Christian walk and saying, man, I can't wait to be stumbling and bumbling around you know, in my faith, teetering, tottering here and there, going to and fro, not knowing where I'm going. I can't wait for that to happen in my Christian walk. No, that's not what we desire. We desire stability. We desire um, some stableness in our Christian experience. We desire to be firm. We desire to be strong, like Christ was. I don't think there's anybody here this morning who knows Christ that would say, oh, wait, I can't wait to be victimized by this next difficulty that comes along. Or I can't wait to be knocked over by the troubles and the battles and, and trials and problems in life. That just makes my day. When that happens, I'm just happy. No, this is not the way it is. Um, I don't think we like it when we're defeated by temptation and we give in to sin because of the world around us and the flesh and the devil trips us up, it causes us to sin at times. And I don't think any of us would say anything other than the Apostle Paul when he saw sin in his own life and he says, you know what, when I sin, when I do that thing, I don't want to do it. He says, the thing I, I hate the most, I do. And that's that, that tension in the Christian walk. I think we would all like to be firm and strong. We'd, we must recognize that it's, it's not an easy process. Because when you came to Christ, you may not realize this, but you may, uh, you basically signed up for the Lord's army. And when you sign up for the Lord's army, you're going to do battle in this world every day. And you stop and you think of some of the men and women who are deployed abroad, and they're in firefights sometimes daily. You know, I don't think that they're, you know, sitting in their bunker when, when uh, the enemy's shooting at them thinking, oh man, I wish I had that new Nintendo game, or boy, I, you know, I, I hope so-and-so's doing good at home, or I hope this. No, they're focused like a laser beam on their mission, which in their case would be kill the enemy before they kill you. And if they deviate from that, they may end up dead. And see, they're in a war. And sometimes when you're in a war, you know, you just look at 9-11 when, when our, the Twin Towers were attacked and all that. You know, a war has a way of bringing reality to, to things. I was writing a little thing the other day, just kind of, just uh, for a newsletter we're going to be putting out. And, and I was thinking, you know, to kind of put at the top of the page, I put reality check. And I started sitting there, I was sitting, the women were having their breakfast, I didn't need to do so, I just started typing at the computer. And I started thinking, you know what? This is kind of interesting that we'll turn on a television show that's supposed to be, quote, a reality-based show. And sometimes we actually believe this is reality. You know, we, we watch, uh, what's the gal, the 30-minute meal gal? Rachel Ray, you know, come out there and, you know, do her little thing in 30 minutes and she's got this wonderful meal. Have you ever tried that, honestly? <laughs> Have you ever really tried it? I mean, you know, maybe, possibly, if I had the backup that she had, if I had sous chefs coming out of my ears, you know, cutting up little onions so they're in a nice little glass bowl so she just dumps them in there. You know, if I had all that, maybe I could do that in 30 minutes. But I'll tell you what, I've tried it. It doesn't work. Because it's not reality. Okay, I mean, I'm lucky if I can make a peanut butter jelly sandwich in 30 minutes. Not really, but, you know... And yet we sit there and we turn the TV on and we think, wow, that's, that's interesting. Um, reality. Or, or, you know, for those of you men who might, might be in the Norm Abrams, you know, the, the old Yankee workshop, you know, this guy comes on the screen 
And, you know, after a 10-minute introduction where he goes to some factory and some old house or whatever, sees a piece of furniture, and by the end of the show, he's got the thing made. Oh, it's reality. Yeah, no, it's not. We've been duped into believing it's reality. So when I'm in my garage and, you know, I'm trying to put a little line in a piece of wood with my router, and I've got to change the bit... I don't have the luxury of just grabbing the next router with the bit already in and just, hey, we're good to go, you know, or move to the next table saw. I mean, no, all that stuff takes time. And so I think sometimes when we're, when we're in this world, we're, we're kind of being duped into, you know what, look around us and we're believing that this is reality, when in fact it's not. We're in a war. And war has a way of bringing reality out. After 9-11, you remember all the politicians on the you know, steps singing Kumbaya and holding hands. You know, I mean, we all knew that wouldn't last very long. Yeah, but you know what? In a way, it gave a little bit of a reality check. Hey, you know what? We're under attack. It's time to drop the games and, and get something done here. And sure, it didn't last very long. But the point is, is when we're in war, it has a way of bringing things kind of to the surface. And all of a sudden we, we step back and we go, well, is this really that important? What is really important? And when God saved us, he called us into his army. And he said, your sole task will be to share this gospel with those around you and live a life that's undaunting, that's, that's unwavering. So that people will look at you and say, wow, there's something different here. You don't just blend in with the rest of the world. So we all desire to be that firm, strong, strong, faithful person. But really, we're saved to conflict. We're saved to war. We're called to be in an, arm, in an army that does battle with the supernatural. And so when we look at Philippians 4.1, that's why he says there, you know what, you have to stand firm or stand fast in the Lord. Because our, that's our, our spiritual military duty. Watched a thing the other day on the military channel, and, and it was uh, a battle of something. But it was these guys, these Marines that were up on this hill, and they were trying to, their helicopter crashed. And another group came to help them out, and they had this bunker up on top of the mountain. If you watch that, you've probably seen it. It's been on a million times, but I watch it every time it's on because it's just amazing to me. And, you know, it's not reality. It's a reenactment. But it's amazing how... You know, these guys are up in this bunker shooting at them. And they're, it's just a kind of a mound that they're up on top of. And they call in these, these jets to kind of strafe the, the bunker. And they do it several times, and the guys keep on shooting at them. And they're thinking, okay, you know what, drop the bombs. You've got to drop the bombs. The, the guns aren't working. And they were so close that they have a thing they call danger close. And the, the leading guy on the ground has to call this in because they could lose their lives. I mean, this bomb could literally kill them as it kills the enemy. But they were willing to take drastic measures because there was nothing else to do. And there was kind of a, a willingness. They weren't willing to back away from this. Their goal was to take these guys out, and that's what they did. And that's the kind of, I guess, mentality that we have to have in our Christian walk. Now, you might be sitting here this morning and say, well, gee, that's nice, Steve. You know, I appreciate the encouragement to stand firm and be strong and be bold and be courageous and be stable. 
But frankly, you haven't told me how. <laughs> you haven't told me how. How do we reach that kind of stability? Matter of fact, if you're looking around at Christians around you this morning, you might assume that some are more stable in their spiritual walks than others. And you know what? That's a correct assumption to make. Some appear very stable. And some appear very unstable. And you have all kinds in between those two extremes. Maybe a feeling in your heart this morning that you're saying, you know what, I'm just a... <laughs> I was just born this way. I'm just unstable in general. Well, I want to make sure that you understand this morning, genetics have nothing to do with our spiritual resources that we have in Christ. Absolutely nothing. It's not something you've inherited, the instability that you may have. It's a spiritual issue. And there's no mystery, really, in the Word of God to understanding why some people are stable in spiritual things and some people are not. Why some people are mature in Christ and some people are very immature in Christ. Why some people hold out through trials and temptations and other people just cave every time it comes around. Why some people are always defeated in their Christian walk and why others are always just triumphing gloriously. There's no mystery there why that happens. It's just a problem that can be solved by the development of spiritual stability in your life through principles that God's Word lays out for us. You may be weak in faith. You may be unstable. You may be a new Christian, and there's a, lot of, a certain amount of instability in that. But I want you to know this morning that God lays out for us in His Word a process that is clearly outlined for us for, to obtain spiritual stability. It's associated with discipline. It's associated with, with, with taking that stand and making that stand, as Colossians 2.5 uh, just said. But I want you to understand this morning that it's possible in Christ to have a stable walk. You have to understand that in order to be spiritually stable and not to be knocked over by all these things that come our way daily, whether it's persecution by hostile people around you, whether it's temptation by Satan or the flesh or the world or whatever, whether it's trials or troubles, there are principles that help us, that enable us to become strong. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to begin to look at those in verses 2 to 9. Now you notice in verse 1 there last week, he says, So stand fast in the Lord. And we, we concentrated on that little word, so, and we said, that's really the idea that, you know what, here's, here's what I'm going to tell you how to do it. Uh, he says, basically, this is the way you are to stand firm in the Lord. And then he outlines in verses 2 to 9 how to do it. So he's saying to the Philippians, you know what, you've got to be firm in the Lord. You've got to be resolutely stable as Christians. You must do it. And he gives us a series of principles. And we want to look at, at the first one. The first principle. And the first principle we see in verse 2. And I put it there in your, your outline. Principle number one is maintain or cultivate harmony or peace in the fellowship. By cultivating harmony or peace in the fellowship of love. That's, that's really what we need to do. We need to maintain or cultivate harmony or peace in the fellowship of love. Now let's look at this and see where we get this from. Um, I'm convinced that when we pursue spiritual stability even as Paul did, um, it's, it's really dependent on associations that we have. Sometimes when you associate with unstable people, you're going to be unstable. That's just the way it is. 
And so it's all about holding on to people. It's all about accountability. It's all about caring. It's about mutual love, harmony and peace. And this is where he goes with this. And this is what he says in verse 2. He says, I implore you, Odia, and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, it's kind of interesting when Paul identifies this because he identifies a conflict here. He's saying, hey, red flag, there's, there's a problem here in this church. Um, he's not vague about it. Uh, he names the two women who are the problem. Um, and then he names a person, which we're going to talk a little bit about, to help this problem out. He's very specific. And what he's after here is unity in the church, harmony in the church amongst the people with the relationships. So there's, there's potential discords of, of, you know, at different levels within the church, and, and they threaten the purity of the church. And you have to remember, when a church is generally unstable, when there's generally conflict, a lot of conflict in a church, it, it generates instability in the whole church, not just between those two people. And then on the other hand, when there's unity and there's oneness and peace and harmony and all that, then everybody enjoys that stability that's the result of that. And so Paul knows that these two women, Yodi and, and Syntyche, they're having a major conflict. And he's saying, you know what, this can threaten the spiritual stability of the church, of believers throughout the whole congregation. Because they'll fall to all kinds of sins, you know, whatever it might be. Negative attitudes, bitterness, revenge, hostility, unforgiveness, pride, you can go on and on. Paul knows that. And so he knows when people make peace and harmony with one another and they cultivate that relationship, that, that unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, as Paul calls it, there will be stability throughout the whole church. It's as if the general strength of a church becomes the individual strength. If this morning we're here all immature believers and unstable in our faith, how would we expect our church to be? It's going to be immature and unstable in our faith. And see, we all participate to that. We all participate in that. I went down to pick up my wife this last week at work, and they had the, the uh, I don't know what they're called, those big long boats out on uh, one of the places down there on Redwood Shores with all the guys, women paddling and stuff. And I'm thinking, you know what, that's kind of a good example. Because, you know, they each have a, a, a row, I think, on one side or maybe or on one side or the other, maybe they have two, I don't know. But if, if one of them just decides, you know what, my right arm's getting tired, I'm not going to do it anymore, what's going to happen? Well, both's going to go off course. All right? Even though they may be very strong individuals. But if one of them messes up, if one of them goes a certain way, it affects the whole boat. And that's kind of what Paul is saying here. And he wants us to, to, to make sure that our environment in our church is one of, of spiritual unity and peace and harmony. We're to support the weak, we're, we're to lift up the fallen, we're to restore the broken, those who are overtaken in the sin. We're to demonstrate love toward them, not harshness. We're to demonstrate grace because we're seeking restoration, we're seeking repentance. And that's what he's kind of calling for here. Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. 
and we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. Gracefultruth.org is where to go. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. (music) 